I think that's it. That's it. Good luck to you. <laughs> My name is Lila, and I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Lila. <laughs> I, 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 I. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We've never met, but you wouldn't know that? I feel like I've known her my whole life. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, oh, I have to tell you the truth. First of all, let me get the formalities out of the way. And then maybe God will show up while I'm driveling through this, but um, I hope so. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for your, one of your co-chairs, who's been sober quite a while and got sober in Los Angeles and made a phone call to me, uh, I don't know when now, it was a while ago, and uh, uh, by the time we got talking about all of the people that we knew in common, who are now attending their own meeting normally in the sky, so if you think it's crowded in this room tonight, just move over, because there's a whole ton of people here tonight. There's a whole ton of people here tonight. And she talked about people that, uh, you know, I had the privilege of sharing my sobriety with, and uh, I mean incredible people. You wouldn't know them now, probably, but, you know, they talked about, oh, the profanity was extraordinary. <laughs> Oh, there was one woman really, you know, she gave the best talks, you know, oh my God, about spiritual ears, and oh, she was a jumper, you know, she'd be jumping out of cars, and uh, oh, Jesus, it was great. Anyway, we all know who we're talking about. So thank you for guilting me into coming, because <laughs> that's really what it mattered to. <laughs> And by the time she was finished, I thought, ah, oh, you know, it's a new conference and they're focusing on the steps and God knows I have been an advocate for so long about the steps. Um, very, very important to me because of the reason I'm still here. If I hadn't found a way to incorporate the steps in my own life at a time when I didn't think AA was enough for me and when everything was changing in my life. And it was in those mid-years, you know, when you're not a newcomer, you're not an old timer, you're just a comer. <laughs> You know, they really don't want to hear what you have to say, and frankly, you don't want to hear what they have to say either. <laughs> Gotten over being nice, and you realize it's just not enough because uh, for someone like me, well, I had done all the things that uh, were appropriate to, to do, uh, I forgot that I had to make it my own. You know, I believe that this we, if this, and, and anything I say here, God only knows what I'm going to say tonight. Now, it's been a while since I've spoken because we, Jane and I, are already off track, right? Did I ever thank you? No. <laughs> anyway, us, I'm trying, I'm trying, but it's a jet lag, you know, it's not my fault, it's everyone else's fault but mine. <laughs> <laughs> because when Dylan and I talked about this, I thought, ah, oh, you know, new conference, they're focusing on the steps. I thought it was great, you know, the point of focus, and, and I thought, wow, this is really cool, and ah, you know, it's a small one and all that kind of thing, and I thought, I could do that, you know. So I talked to Jane, you know, and I said, you know, I think I'm going to come home early, a couple of weeks, and then you can follow uh, from Ireland, and uh, we live in Santa Monica part of the year, and in Ireland uh, the rest of the time, and and I want to do this now because the guilt and <laughs> because uh, my God really has changed so significantly, but I do have this little GOT thing, which is ghosts on demand. And I thought if I don't show up there and help out, they're probably gonna do something to me. So I'll just show up. <laughs> it won't be a problem at all. You know, give me two weeks to rest at home and you know, then I'll come up to Portland and what have you. And, and, and um, in the interim, uh, my dear friend and uh, of uh, 48 years uh, in Portland, where I was coming in and out of Yahats, uh, passed away. And uh, oof, I'm telling you, the last place I wanted to come was Oregon. <clears throat> and uh, and then we had a little event in. Um, I don't know. I, I, so I, I left Ireland, and I, I had to go to uh, 
Jane and I have a property in the Caribbean that was in the hurricane a couple of years ago. We're in the process of selling it. We had pretty much sold it. Bam, along comes the act of God, takes us to the ground. It's the last responsibility I have really left in my life. And uh, so I'm on the board and I'm reconstructing it and, and been in and out of there and I had to show up just before this conference. I had made a commitment to come when it was, it was necessary to complete the last bit of that for the, all the people that were counting on, on me to do that, and um, it happened to be, so I've been home for 18 or 20 hours or something. So, you know, I don't even know my name. <laughs> I, I usually, I usually w wear a watch that, uh, you know, has a big face on it when I talk, you know, so I can, you know, do the right thing and end on time and everything. But I forgot my own safe number, this number of my safe. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, what the hell, right? So thank you for inviting me. I'm really glad I'm here. Let's just cut to the chase. I hope, you know, that I have something that I can tell you. The truth of the matter is, when you're 22 years of age and you join Alcoholics Anonymous and you're 72 years of age and in between that you've been sober 50 years, you are speechless. <laughs> now, when I was 30, it was like, oh, wow, this is very good. You know, I'm 30, and there was a reality check to that. There was a reality check to that, and I, I thought it was a privilege to be sober that long. And I was very grateful that I could, I could change my shyness into a gift in Alcoholics Anonymous, and that I had, that I had years ago when I couldn't stay, didn't think I was gonna stay, found myself in the books and talked about the steps, and, and you know, went all over the country when nobody was talking about the steps and got the hell beaten out of me because I wasn't doing the format or whatever the hell they wanted, you know. But I kept talking, and I kept talking, and I kept talking, and little did I know, I was on fire with Alcoholics Anonymous. I was on fire with my love and my need of AA. And it saved me, it saved my sobriety, it gave me peace. And I realized that no matter what, yes, there are people in this room tonight, ah, this is clever what I just did here now, Sheila, Janet, Emily, Hillary, <laughs> Terry, and Jenna, I realize you're new on Alcoholics Anonymous. I realize that, and I hope you stay, and I hope that you're so sick and tired in your soul, and I hope that that little candle of light that's barely, barely lit inside of you, that you stay here until it starts to glow, and that you find a way, and that you listen to these people, and you do precisely what they tell you to do, because you really, you're incapable of doing anything else. And you know, I, I just don't have the strength and the energy to be polite. If you don't find somebody to talk to right away, if you don't make those phone calls, and if you don't do every bloody stupid thing they want you to do, and there's a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous that come up with a lot of bloody stupid things they're gonna want you to do, because you're gonna think that's what they are. Trust me, what difference does it make? Is it any stupider than being drunk on your own doorstep, really? You know? I think, I, you know, if you're like me, you drank to escape reality. Well, guess what happens in Alcoholics Anonymous is we march you right into reality. We're here to relearn how to live life on life's terms, to be realistic, to feel reality, to be present, to be authentic, to be able to say anything you want to say, to love yourself, to find out that at the end of the rainbow, when you're 72 years old and you're 50 years sober, you can honestly say, I like who I am. It has nothing to do, I am not defined by my, uh, I have a wonderful relationship of, of, of over decades of with a wonderful woman who sobered th almost three decades of sobriety herself. And, and she's the new era of Alcoholics Anonymous and I listen to them on uh, Skype machine, uh, uh, Skyping and you know, she's got babies in St. Martin and babies in Paris and, and babies in Ireland and baby, whatever they call them, sponsees here or whatever pigeon somewhere else, I don't know. <laughs> That's how insulting it is, you newcomers. They call you babies, really, you know? And then they talk about you behind your back, by the way. I'd like you to know that. <laughs> and it's a good thing that they're talking to you behind your back because they care. They care. And all that's required of you is that you try, like hell, when you go home tonight, to sit on your hands so you don't have to drink. That's all. We'll take care of the rest for at least 90 days. And for 90 days, you've got to call somebody every bloody day. Because every day, you might want to drink. And you're going to make a choice. Because you see, we're going to be here whether you do or you don't. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be here. I don't believe you're necessarily the most important person in the room. Now everybody in A is going to tell you you're the most important person in the room. 
There's two million people that are the most important people in the room. I'm going to tell you who the most important people in the room are. Cheryl and me and people who keep coming back when they can't believe they can. People who sit on their hands year after year and day after day. I have been in a thousand conventions and I have listened to these countdowns, you know, and I can tell you I was shocked to find the dip in the middle years. So for all of you newcomers that I just named, hang in here with these people. They're wonderful people. They know more about the steps than I do. Half of them have listened to my tapes. They know more about my life than I do. I need to sit with somebody and have coffee and have them fill me in because, oh my God, tonight I could use the help, you know. <laughs> You're gonna find out how to laugh here. You're gonna find yourself. You're gonna meet who you are. You're gonna discard everything and these old ideas that you have. Anything that happened to you in your life, you're going to come to the other side of it. Ah, oh, you may not necessarily forgive. I don't necessarily forgive. That's a lot of nonsense for me. But I will accept what happened. You will find a level of acceptance for anything in your life for anybody that did anything to you. And it's up to you about the remorse and the forgiveness and whatever your religious affiliation is. I could care less. I think religion is an outside issue, frankly. But that doesn't mean that my role tonight is not to tell you what kind of connection and role I have with the God of my own understanding, which I believe is the theme of this thing today. So I will try to do that. And it is not religious. But I respect your religion. However you want to do it doesn't really matter as long as you're connected up to something. And I don't know about you, but the greatest prayers I ever prayed was when I was brand new. <coughs> Begging myself to please, God, help me. So for the purists, there are always a few in the room. <laughs> what it was like, what happened, and what is it like now? <laughs> Let me tell you about my Alcoholics Anonymous. There are no rules other than do not drink, attend meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, read this big book, understand the 12 and 12 if you've got some time, and find a God of your own understanding. That's it. Now we're all here to help you with that. So you need somebody to talk to for 90 days. Why? So you can get the habit of talking to somebody and reaching out. You need to go to meetings every single day so that you can get in the habit of going to meetings. Because a day will come when you need to go to a meeting and you need to be in the habit of going. You need to reach out. <coughs> and we need to be there to take those phone calls because we need to reach back. So that's it for you newcomers. Good luck to you. <laughs> There's 356 people. 55, I'm leaving tomorrow. There's 356 people here that will go out of their way to help you. You know, uh, a man told me uh, a long time ago, when I, it was the first time I ever sp spoke in Alcoholics Anonymous, I was sober just a breath of time, and uh, he said, come on, come with me now. Can you drive me down to the Salvation Army in downtown Los Angeles? I said, sure, you know. <coughs> I was a really good AA member. You know, I drove him down. I did the cookies. I was pretty, you know, honest. And I drove him down. I said, I'd be happy to. You know, the guy was sober longer than God at that time, maybe 15 years or something. And I, and, you know, he knew Bill Wilson personally. I mean, you know, this, what it was like then was very different. It was different in a different way. I don't know. It's all the same stuff. Just different outside. And uh, I said, sure, I'd be happy, happy to drive you down to the Salvation Army. And we got in there, and there was a big refrigerator making all sorts of noise in the back and a few little five guys. And they were like, really, you know, they look bad. <laughs> they look like you look tonight, you know. Pretty beat up, and uh, <coughs> and we're sitting there, and I'm sitting there with Jules, and he says, "Now, you know, I'm leading this meeting. Great, I drove you, I'm drive you back, I get it. I'm happy to be in any meeting. Any anything anybody says, I can get something out of it. I'm great, and I'm new, kinda, newish, and maybe in the first nine months or something. I was totally shy, and I stuttered when I joined Alcoholics Anonymous. I was so terrified to be sober. Being sober was a physically and emotionally and spiritually horrifying experience for me. I had no relationship with a God, nor did I want one, despite what I told you. I understood none of your signs about, you know, 
got and everything. And I half listened, but, you know, it wasn't about that for me now, was it? Uh, so anyway, I, dro I drove him down, sitting there, and he said, um, you're going to talk to these men tonight, and you're going to tell them your story. I almost fainted, you know. I said, there's not a possibility that I'm going to do that. <laughs> he said, well, there is a possibility, and you're going to do it in about two minutes. <laughs> And I said, oh my God, I, I, can't, I just can't do that. I don't know these people, and I, can't, I just can't do it. He said, Lila, you just have to speak to one man tonight. There's only five. <laughs> one man tonight. You talk to him, because that's all you ever have to do in Alcoholics Anonymous, is speak to one person in one meeting, and that's how it works here. One alcoholic speaking to another. And as long as it's one of us speaking to the other one, we will survive. So you're going to get up there and whatever he said to me, right? And you know, I have always done that. I'm here tonight to speak to one person. I don't know who you are. I hope that you're in the mid-years or maybe even longer in your sobriety. And you're wondering, Jesus, they never prepared me for this, you know. And this happened and this happened and this happened and oh my God. I need more, I need more, I need more. Now, three of those men fell asleep. <laughs> One of them was clearly not present. So I immediately knew who my man was. <laughs> I said to Jules, how did I do? He said, oh, hell, he said. It's about when you speak, you know, you're speaking. I spoke for years about the steps. I had a lot of knowledge because I studied that thing. I thought about it. But until I started to practice what I was talking about, years later, I understood that I knew so much in my head. But was I really practicing these steps? It's a completely different thing. Talking about it is irrelevant. It's how you share your, you know. But you're not sharing your experience. You're just sharing this knowledge with each other. A book study is a book study until you go home and you practice it. I don't know who I was talking to at uh, the buffet thing there. Um, you know, I said, God, you know, one, one time in our little practice, I realized that I wasn't grateful enough, you know, because when I got lit on fire for like 20 years in AA, where I was just like, wow, talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. I never cared for anything back. I didn't care whether you liked me or you didn't like me. I was talking to the one person in the room that I knew was like me, and we were losing each other. We were, they were leaving, and I thought, oh no, you know, don't you get it, you know. You may be powerless over alcohol and your life is unmanageable, but after you're sober a few years, that unmanageability completely changes. You're not stealing stuff from people and making all these silly little things you do with yourself in the beginning. No, it's worse than that. <laughs> You're emotionally stealing from them. You know, there were great talks this weekend for me, you know, about the lying and, oh, my God, Jesus. And all of these things. All of these things. And then, you know, came to believe in what? Power greater than yourself. I'll tell you. I was 22 years old on a bathroom floor. That's what it was like. I found myself rising off that floor as the mirror went up and down. I could determine whether or not I would pass out, determined by the rate of the speed. The bathroom was completely destroyed. And I woke up and I heard myself say, God help me. Within a second, I was in a rage because I did not have any intention of God helping me. I didn't want a God. There had been no good God or any God that I thought was of any value at all in my life. And I was going to do this by myself, and I did not need help. That's what happened on that bathroom floor. I had absolutely no intention. I was enraged with myself because I was going to be all right. And I was going to do fine. And I would get up on that porcelain. I have a real love for porcelain. Every now and then I think, <laughs> if I ever got really, really like sad and desperate, I'd just hug a toilet, you know? <laughs> Something about that porcelain on my, it's just, you know, it's just, it's cool and it's comforting. It doesn't talk back, you know? It's just, it's a great thing. 
So that's what it was like. And then, but because I had that prayer coming out of an unconscious state, because clearly I just heard the end of it, but I must have been praying while I was down there in some blackout on the floor. And something happened. Because within days, and I can't even tell you the specific day almost, but I ended up in Alcoholics Anonymous, walking down the stairs into the hole in the ground in Huntington Park, California. What it was like, what happened, and what it is like now. And two weeks ago, on October 1st, I celebrated 50 years of sobriety. And I'm here tonight. Uh, and what happened in between, oh, you'll have to listen to the tapes, because I just don't know if there's any wisdom there at all. But I can tell you that whatever happens to you in Alcoholics Anonymous, you are going to survive it. I am not defined by my outsides. Oh, yes, am I grateful? Yes. I'm grateful because I practiced saying thank you in the month of November years ago as a practice for my step thing because I wasn't grateful enough. So for 30 days, I said, thank you for the shower. Thank you for the coffee. Thank you for the red light. Thank you, 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 thank you. I couldn't wait for the 30 days to be over. <laughs> but I did it. I did all these little things so that I could practice these steps. And when I ended up down there, in the seizure row at the hole in the ground. Didn't know, you know. In 1969, it wasn't like there was a lot of rehabs and stuff. I mean, we came in shaking, you know. And there were all these other shakers beside me, and they're seeing dead people, and I'm seeing dead people, and I thought, how could he see my dead aunt? I don't know, Jesus, you know. And then, you know, one guy falls down, he gets taken out of the side room, wallet in his mouth, seizure. My first spiritual experience. Oh my God in heaven, if I don't stay sober for a little while longer, this could happen to me. It had nothing to do with God. I didn't hear them sitting at a table much like this. Whisper, 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 you know, prison, kill people, now I'm sober, dogs, cats, wife, husband. <laughs> all the stuff I never wanted in my life. You know, I thought, I'm in the totally wrong place. I'm 22 years of age. I'm not interested in any of that stuff. I want money, property, and prestige. <laughs> Power. Dying for potential at the same rate of alcoholism. <laughs> I gotta get out of here. That girl today that was speaking, she said loser. I thought, oh, that's great, you know? Bunch of losers here. You know, I didn't see any big cars that I wanted outside. <laughs> and I'm dying. I am literally dying. They're still giving me Coca-Colas and Hershey bars because they're sure I'm having a seizure any moment. Like, keep an eye on her because this one's gotta go uh, any second. That was the beginning of my beginning in Alcoholics Anonymous. I looked at all the beautiful, amazing slogans on the wall. First things first, easy does it, but for the grace of God, et cetera, et cetera. Think, think, the one annoyed me. Think, 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 like really, 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 <laughs> really? You want me to think? I can't stop thinking. Like how the hell am I gonna get out of here? I'm too shy to walk in front of all those people. Oh, why am I sitting in this seat? Because they put me in that seat. Well, why did you sit there? Get out. Get out now. This is a cult. You've got to get out now. Get out. I can't get out. I think I really am an alcoholic. You're not an alcoholic. You're too young to be an alcoholic. Didn't you hear these old guys telling you to spill more on their tie than you drank? And like, hell with them. You're an alcoholic. Who hears anything else? Did I hear the message? No. Did I go every night? Yeah, absolutely. I was back there at 8.30 to 10, the next night, and the next night, and the next night, and the next night, and the next night. And that's how desperate I hope that the six of you are tonight, that no matter what, you're gonna put this first. I was terrified not to. I had no intention of staying now, don't misunderstand. <laughs> I already planned to be gone in three weeks, three weeks. <clears throat> Where the hell I got that? Probably from looking at some sign, thinking about it, you know. <laughs> I'll take it e easy does it, they say, right? You're shaking, you're having DTs, you're you know, hallucinating in the meetings, and it says easy does it on the sign. <laughs> I'm gonna easy does it for three weeks and then I'm gonna be really nice and polite because I was raised properly in Ireland and you know, good little Catholic kid, and I'm out of here. 
But I kept coming because I was afraid I would drink if I didn't, you see. I believed them. I believed them. And this old guy says to me, are you an alcoholic? Well, he said, yes or no? It's a yes or no answer. <laughs> Doesn't require a discussion. <laughs> Not everybody shows up at the hole in the ground on a Saturday night, <laughs> dressed up so that nobody thinks they're an alcoholic. I got dressed to go to my first meeting. It took an hour, you know, I was really bad off. But anyway, I said, well, you know, I, I am, I, I'm, 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 you know. It's in my family, so he said, it's yes or no. I said, well, okay, I'm an alcoholic. And he said, well, good. Then start raising your hand because you just got moved to the third row. Now, we don't bother the people in the seizure row. I didn't know I was in the seizure row. I didn't know until the guy flopped over. I thought I might have been in the seizure row, but I didn't know there was an actual seizure row. I was horrified. Never mind alcoholism and the rest of your life. You know, I could have died right there if I hadn't come back the next night at home in the bathroom. That's what it could have been like for me. But it wasn't, because I was in the meeting and I got moved to the third row. <laughs> it was years later that I wondered, why wasn't I moved to the second row? <laughs> but by then I knew a couple of other like shaky little idiots like myself, like resentful that they knew I was new. How do you know I'm new? How do these people know? How do they know we're new? How do they know we're new? This is really wrong that you come down the steps, your first meeting, and they say, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. I was like offended by that. <laughs> How do you know? I know this is your first meeting. How do you know that? <laughs> Perhaps because you're green. Perhaps because you're sweating and your hands have enough liquid pouring off of them that you could fill a glass. Maybe. And besides, we saw you fall out of your car. That's how we know. And I actually think the most best job in AA is the greeter, you know. He says, no, um, I'm, I'm supposed to, I'm, I'm in charge of you tonight, and they want you to sit, you know, in the seizure row. And um, <laughs> by the way, I want you to read this book, you know, read the book. And take it home and, and, and call me anytime you want, and, and call me tomorrow, and I'll call you, and what's your phone number? And oh my God, the guy was amazing. And he gives me the big book and all the stuff to put in the trunk of my car. I am one of these people. I have, a, I have a big book in the trunk of my car. Every car we have, wherever we are in the world, we have a big book in the trunk. You never know. You never know when you're going to run into me. Somebody like me, what it was like, the me that was like. So we learned to carry the message right away. I can't get into all of it, but you can imagine. You can imagine. You can just imagine. And then the guy says to me, from the, you know, I'm in the third row, everything's good, I'm like, curious about who else is staying sober. I'm competing right away. <laughs> I'm in the sandbox with all the other new people and you know we're like pretending we like each other but we don't and you know I got the cookie assignment. I organized them 50 cents to buy cookies for 500 people and so I bring in lace you know from the old country and I buy proper cookies. And I line them all up, and at, then people actually ate them at the break. And then they messed up my display. And <laughs> so at the break, I thought, Jesus, I can't believe the mess. And I go back, and I rearrange, and you know, I went to presentation, and I got fired. <clears throat> These old guys weren't nice. They fired you. They said, you're fired from the cookie commitment. <laughs> like they fired me. I said, well, why? Because the meeting is to be listened to, and you're down there fixing cookies. <laughs> and that's how I was taught. I was taught because I would do anything, because I was terrified I would drink again. I knew that I would. What's that got to do with anything? That's my newcomer thing. God, you know, I hope you stay. If you do, 
please come up and say hello to me after the meeting or before I leave tomorrow because I'd like to see your face. I couldn't remember your name. My life depended on it. But I will remember your face. I have never forgotten. I'll take the cleanings box. I have never forgotten a face in Alcoholics Anonymous. And that was one of the great benefits. You're healing me this weekend. You're healing me. You're listening to nothing here, but you're healing me. And maybe that's what it is about. Maybe, it's, maybe you need to heal me. Maybe I'm the one that needs a healing tonight. Because as I was walking down these hallways and so many people said, oh, you know, I've listened to that tape and this thing and the other thing. And uh, you know, I was, I thought, oh, thank you. Thank you for telling me because, because I feel like I, uh, oh, I don't know how to explain it, you know, the loss of talking to my friend and, oh, it's not that there's not people to talk to. God knows there is. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you talk to the same one for 48 years, uh, oh. And this man that night said to me, come into the kitchen, Lila, and um, the next night that I went, and he said, Tonight I want you to stay in this back room, which was the kitchen there, and he said, here's a yellow tablet and a piece of paper, and I want you to write down every secret you've ever had on that piece of paper. So is there a million ways to do the fourth step, the fifth step, everything? Please, just do it the way your sponsor wants at the beginning. Then do it that way for about three or four years. Then about five years, you're going to want to do something more. And then about 10 years, you're going to be telling other people what to do so you can make up whatever you want. <laughs> and then when you're about 20, you're really going to need to get into this thing. And then when you're about 30, you're going to desperately need it. And when you're 50, you're going to realize that if you hadn't this program, you wouldn't have the peace and the life that you're embracing now and that you're not defined at all by your outside or what you have. And we are fortunate. We are very, very fortunate to have uh, as much as we have and um, <clears throat> to be able to live in my country, to go home <clears throat> to Ireland. I mean, I never dreamt that big. I didn't know I could dream that uh, big uh, until I was about 40-something years sober and it all began to unfold. I didn't know. Um, uh, I've lost so many people, and uh, I'm, I, am, I am standing before you uh, in need of restoration. I need to restore myself. Um, I know how to do it because I understand the process of peace, you know. I understand the steps and I use them accordingly. And uh, I'm different. I'm just so different. I'm quiet. I'm peaceful. I don't know what I can tell you other than fight for it. Don't give up ever, because I have never been more at peace. I have never been more accepting. I have never been more, I've never been more honest. I mean, believe me, I could turn the switch on and have you rolling in the aisles. And then I would never speak again at Alcoholics Anonymous because I did that once and I stopped speaking because I am not here to entertain you. I am here to show you that people stay sober, that a woman can stay sober, that she can be 50 years sober, that she can be 72 years sober. And I'm telling you, as you age in Alcoholics Anonymous and as life presents itself to you on life's terms one day at a time, you are going to face innumerable things that you never even imagined. Aging has its own set of criteria that's different, you know. I mean, you know, when your eyebrows start to like get gray in them, it's like, Jesus, you know. And, and, but aside from that, there's friends that die and things happen, you know. And by then, you know, you've lost uh, everybody. Uh, uh, you know, uh, in Ireland, I have all my first cousins. There's tons of them, you know. And, uh, but I didn't grow up with them. I didn't grow up with them. Uh, I, I miss that I can't be home with my, you know, say to my mother, look, you know, Jane and I are living in Killarney now. We live in Muckross. We're in the park. And look at this amazing place we have. And I'm home. I'm home. I want to tell my Nana, look, I'm back. I came back. I came back. I'm back. I'm, I live here. Not all the time. We could if we want to, I suppose. But you have no idea what it's like to start your life all over again at this age, at this time with someone that absolutely, you know, adores me and I'm loved and I'm cared for. Oh, don't kid yourself. This big, broad highway you're going to be on for the first five or ten years of your sobriety, it narrows. And it better bloody narrow. Because it won't be enough for you if it doesn't narrow. The quality of the people in my life, oh, they're less. But they're, it's vital. I'm so different. I'm so, I'm so grateful I could burst. I can't tell you 
how proud I am of myself. I can't tell you what a privilege it is for when I could do it and I had the strength and maybe I'll have it again and maybe I won't to barrel through this country and other places and, and talk about those steps because I needed one person to know, don't go. Please don't go. Don't leave now. I don't care what happens. It'll be okay. Find yourself in that big book. You're not a drunk. You're sober. Read it as a sober person. Hell, I'm still the jaywalker every now and then. <laughs> There's been many times in my sobriety when I was the guy that got up on Tuesday morning. What happened to Monday, you say to yourself? <laughs> well, Monday we didn't get out of bed now, did we? I still make my bed every morning. I still put the cap back on the toothpaste because drunks don't do that. I still pick the towels up on the floor and, because I don't want anybody picking my towels up. I'd still return a dime to the grocery store, maybe. <laughs> I might just pay them the next time now because I'm too old and tired. But, you know, I follow all these little things they told me to do. I carry the big book in the car. I can't possibly answer all the stopped a long time ago emails and everything. I, but you know, that doesn't mean that when I have the strength I am, I'm not going to come and try. And so why am I here tonight? I'm here tonight to tell you that the steps really do work. <clears throat> I'm here to tell you that I wish, I wish I could have a conversation in real life with my Nana on the farm who taught me about things I just, I can't even explain. I left Ireland with fantasies. I left Ireland with dreams, and I've come from a country, God knows, sick as can be. <laughs> Do you know, I mean, lots of stuff's going on there. You've all read the stories, you know. But I didn't leave there with that. I left there afraid I'd never come home again. I left my granny and I left my nana. I slept in their beds because, you know, my mother was a blessed virgin reincarnation, and she had child after child after child from some miraculous drunken man that never showed up. I don't know how that happened. It was obviously immaculate conception. But <laughs> she had seven of them, and uh, every time she would get pregnant, she would go down to the country to her mother's in the farm. And, uh, and my, uh, my, my nana... Um, uh, it was a big house where my mother would stay with all the children and my Aunt Annie's, you know. And then my Nana had the farm because her husband had died young. And, you know, it was probably an arranged marriage, I found out later. But that's what happened, you know. But I used to be with my Nana in her bed, you know. And my Uncle Packy was in the other room. And I had little I, assignments, you know, like go get the banding hen eggs. And, uh, you know, and go call in the men from the bog for it was time for lunch. And, God, I was, you know, make the butter with my, with my Nana. And so I understand all this. I, I fit into Alcoholics Anonymous because if you tell me what to do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it really well, you know. And then when my mother, then my granny would come from Dublin to get me, so I would spend some time with her. And then I slept in my granny's bed. I left Ireland as a young woman, young teenager, and I'd never slept in anybody's bed but my nana's and my granny's. And that was a very big ocean. And I thought, oh my God, you know. What am I going to do? How am I going to get home? How am I going to get home? I didn't know these children. Hell, I hardly knew my father joined AA at the time. And my mother, I, 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 I live with my nana and my granny and my uncles, who absolutely adored me now. I mean, it was like great life. And then we go to the immigrant section of, um, I don't think I've talked about this before, in Toronto, Canada. And uh, oh, it's not going to be a Catholic school with the nuns and everything. It's like a you know, boys and a regular school. And uh, I thought, okay, I'm shy, but I speak perfect English. <clears throat> so I don't sound like all of these other people uh, with these accents, you know. So I'm going to be fine in school. I'm going to get along with these Canadian-type people and whatever they look like, I don't know, because we were in that. Th but, you know, when I got to school, I had a very thick brogue. And I spoke really fast. Irish people speak really fast. They have a lot to say. <laughs> and, uh, and nobody understood me. But they understood the German people and the Italian people because they tried to pronounce the words. 
And they struggled through these words and they were understood and I wasn't. Oh my God on heaven. Cried every night. Complete loser. First time I saw television. Tried to change my accent. I actually did change my voice so that I could see every word and be precise and oh Jesus Christ, you know. Then we moved to Southern California. <laughs> Southern California. Do you know what it's like down there really? <laughs> They're all blonde. Woo, I had massive great hair. Porcelain white skin. They're tanned. I don't know. I had a great nose, but theirs was different. Most of them. Anyway, and they speak really slowly, like laid back. Very calm. I had to listen to Elvis Presley records for two years. Love me tender, love me true, so I could slow down. <laughs> Do you think that when I drank alcohol, I was ready? <laughs> Come on. I'm an alcoholic because I'm allergic to alcohol. But I was ready for it. I was ready for it. I was stealing my mother's brandy when I was that high in bloody Toronto, where were we? In, we moved to all there is in the USA, from A to Z in the USA, before we became middle class and better class and sick. But you know, I had the little ironing board and as I grew up, I just raised the ironing board and it was my bar and listen, if things were, if I liked drinking with people, so I would just get everybody in my family, you kids, kids, drunk. I'd make them exotic drinks, I'd make them brandy, you know, to hell with the priest. I put the water in there, let him drink the water. You know, my mother thinks she's hiding it. No. I was ready to drink. Little did I know that when I wrote out all those secrets for that man that night, that in the years that I poured alcohol from a young, young age, it was not uncommon for me to fall up by me, you know. I got through high school because in those days they had big comic stores. You know, books, comic books. So I was drunk, you know, all the time. Really seriously drunk half drunk, you know. And so I would go to the comic store and whatever was going on in history or English or anything, I'd buy all the comics and read them. I would write the most amazing reports. I like got out of high school. How did that happen? And I'm good with math. I failed algebra because I wouldn't be bothered, you know. I said to the guy, I think I know the answer. He said, no, you gotta get up there and tell me how it happened. Failed. And I failed typing because my mother said, you're gonna have to be a nurse or a typist because you're hopeless. <laughs> Seriously. I faint if I get a paper cut. The nurse thing was out. And I just had a mental block against my uh, typing. I couldn't do it, you know. This is the kind of individual I was. I started working at Aeroburger on the highway so that I could make money to buy my own car because I had to get out of there. You know, I was already pre-planning. I was so industrious. And of course, I picked the right spot because the old lady that owned the place, she was lovely, you know, but her son was a heroin addict. He was delighted with me. I was like, whoa. You know, the truckers came by. Jesus, within a month I knew their names. You know, I don't know. Sometimes I cooked the meat properly. Sometimes I didn't. just depended on my mood. But, you know, <laughs> I probably owe some serious, serious amends, but what the hell. They drove off in the trucks. And from that, I went on to like think, well, I got to do more, and I worked for the Salvation. I did all these jobs, and I like had my own car, and I became reasonably uh, successful at a, at a young age doing all sorts of other things, and just was my destiny. And I was a functioning alcoholic until I could no longer function. And when I couldn't function really, you know, and 3 o'clock in the afternoon I needed a drink, I just put Vicks cough syrup in my desk drawer, and I like drank a bottle of Vicks every day. And then one day it was all over, and that's when I had this period of time where I never left the apartment and blah, 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 and ended up in Alcoholics Anonymous. In that uh, period of time, since I have been sober, I have done so many things wrong, and I have, you know, so many. Look, you know, you're gonna do life in AA. You're gonna make so many mistakes. You're gonna be really rotten sometimes. And, you know, I have just not been the best, you know, but I've always made up for it in my own kind of way. And, and I can tell you what'll happen to you. All I can tell you is the end of the story. So why am I wasting my time telling you the in-between? The end of the story is you will end up realizing that your past is behind you, that you've done absolutely everything you possibly could to correct it, 
that you've done the best you could and that you are only looking at today and perhaps what's going to come along tomorrow and that no matter what comes along tomorrow, you're going to be able to handle it. It's going to be okay. I have seen my friend handle things that were my nightmare, which was when her partner died. I thought, oh my God, it was all right. It's not going to be good. It isn't good, but it is okay. And so what did we get back from that? I got the best friend in the world back from that. I lost my dear friend Gretchen, but what did I get for that? I got a better quality to my program and a better relationship with some of the people that I didn't know because I am forced, I am forced to work my own program better than I've ever worked it before because I don't have my friend to dribble and talk all the way with. I am forced to write it out. I am forced to not every other day, but maybe every day write, dear great spirit, what am I using, you know, what about this and what about that? And, oh, I'm so tired and I'm so desperate because I don't think I can give a talk tonight that's going to mean anything. I don't have it in me. There's nothing to say. I can only tell you what's at the end of the road. At the end of the road, if you can stay sober for 50 years, I can assure you, you will love who you are. You may not have all the things I may have or not have. It's not about the outside. I'm not defined by my outside. I give my partner the biggest slice of toast. That's why I know I love her. <laughs> we had this big thing today about corn on the cob, and I thought, corn on the cob? Jesus, you know, it's about the toast with me. Toast is important. You know? And I like well-done toast with a lot of butter, and I want jam on it, and that's my comfort. And I want a nice cup of tea or a decent cup of coffee now that I'm more sophisticated with coffee. <laughs> you know. And that's it. That's it. And if you come to my house, there'll be no bling and bullshit and stuff. You're going to get a nice cup of tea and a slice of toast and some coffee. And so people like to come to my house because they can put their feet up on the furniture, because we're real people, because we're in AA, because we've lived life, because we understand, because why? Because we have the honesty to tell each other the truth. Oh, I don't tell everybody the truth. I'm not going to subject myself to that kind of abuse. <laughs> I am very careful and very cautious about who I, and I know the difference. I know who the red lights are, the green lights are, and the yellow lights are, like the stop sign that people represent to me. And I stay away from those red lights, like you're supposed to. Ah, and I love the green lights, they're a go. And I have a few green lights in my life. And you know, green going to yellow is fine, because I go to yellow myself every now and then, and I'm a caution. <laughs> but I can pretty much tell within five seconds from an intuitive part in me that I have perfected as a result of the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous getting inside of me. I have made them my own. They are mine. We, us, you, shared your experience, strength, and hope, but I needed to make these fit me. I don't care if we both saw the same murder on Main Street. How I perceive it is going to be different than how you perceive it, and we're going to tell two different stories altogether. So it's never been about what happens in my life or what will happen in your life. What is happening in your life is life. How you perceive it, what you take from it, and what you carry inside of you, and the secrets that you make it, and the things you don't talk about, those are the things that the steps are here to get outside of you. I have believed all of these years that the steps are to make room, make room, make room, make room. And it was one thing to say it, and it's another thing to know what that means. I know what that means now, because when you take those steps and you work them to clean you out and get rid of you and make some room, my God, it's going to be filled up with who you are. Who you are. Oh, yes, I'm an alcoholic. My favorite thing in all of Alcoholics Anonymous is every single time I raise my hand in a meeting anywhere I go and I say, my name is Lila and I am an alcoholic. Every time I get to say that, I reconfirm my commitment to myself and to Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the most important thing I say. If I don't say that, I'll forget to say it someday. I go to meetings no matter what. Oh, no, no, maybe I don't be going every day, but I do go to my regular meetings and I'm as curious as anybody. And I sit there on those iron chairs and drink that lousy tea and coffee. And I think, God, this is great. And I always, always, always hear one little thing. And it's not necessarily insightful. It might be something like maybe somebody saying, what is, you know, one woman said recently, she's, was, she's sober a long time. And she said, uh, you know, one of her greatest character defects is that she gets tired. Do you know when I'm tired, I'm not good to myself. When I'm not rested, I am not good to you. 
And what's the first thing we tell these newcomers, these six people here, just in case you forget who you are? <laughs> Sheila, Janet, Emily, Hillary, <laughs> Terry, and Jenna. We're going to tell you don't get too hungry. Do you know how many people we lose because they didn't eat a bologna sandwich or whatever the hell they people eat now? <laughs> Your sugar dropped. Your sugar dropped. Are you kidding? I was so severely sugar dropped when I was on AA at the beginning that I used to have to pull my car over in the freeway and nap. I didn't know, you know, till they like loaded my car up with bananas. How did I get through the middle years of my sobriety? I read the 12 and 12, like only the dying can. I read the big book like I was the sober person and I read that 12 and 12 for the solution. I took inventory after inventory after inventory. I didn't care about all the little things. I cared about my fears. They're torturing me. I was way beyond resentment. I was into hurting myself. I was in my inability to let go of all these secrets and all these things that I had harbored for all of these years. They had to go. So my unmanageability was caused solely by me. Now one of the horrible things when I was about 20 or 30 years sober was when I found out I am totally responsible for my own self. And blaming people is just a complete waste of time. And judging them is even a bigger waste of time. So my life is not unmanageable. Unless I am too tired, too hungry, and I'm not spiritually fit. And when I feel that coming on, and I know when I, before, before I get up in the morning, you know, one, two, three. Am I ready for this day now? Before I get up in the morning, I know, like the lady today that says something about jiggly-boo or something, and you know, <laughs> it was grayish, really. Uh, I, I know, and I know, and I correct myself. Because when you get used to doing the steps, they'll do it for you intuitively. You know, it's like you just do them until they become part of you, and when they become part of you, they'll take you over, and they won't let you go too far away from yourself, and they will lead you right back into yourself, and you will make room for who? You'll make room for yourself, and you're going to find a person that you're not going to dislike that is more than enough, that is a really good person. I'm a person of tremendous honesty. I'm a person full of hope. You see, if I didn't have hope, I wouldn't be here. I hope that you uh, accept uh, my uh, apology for not having the clear, vibrant, you know, full of knowledge talk. But you know what? I can't. I can just say, look, if I stand up here and breathe, that should be enough hope for you. <laughs> Frankly, you should want what I have. I have an ex <laughs> I have an extraordinary relationship. I live in two countries. I'm like, really? But you know, even if I didn't have all of those things and all of this stuff, would it matter? No, because I have me. I have me. I don't have a little girl. I have me. I'm home in my own country. I believe in leprechauns. You know, I have friends that say, hey, I'm going for surgery. Can you send me a few leprechauns? Oh, yeah, I'd be happy to do it. Beep. They write back and say, wow, those leprechauns are really cool. I feel good. I think, okay, great. I believe in magic because I have lived 50 years of magic in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm a person of honesty, great hope. I have extraordinary faith. Extraordinary faith. The thing that has changed for me the most, and is still in the process of changing, is my understanding of a God greater than myself. I do not have a religious God. I have, uh, I have, I'm a seeker. I've always been a seeker. That's why I was fearless about needing the steps to take me inside of myself so that I could find out who I was and what was in there and what was going to be for me. I will tell you the truth. My God of my personal understanding is G period O period D, ghosts on demand. I communicate with everyone that's gone on. I have the best of who my Nana was because I am my Nana. I have my granny. I have my best qualities of my granny. I say hello to my mother every day. I miss my sister. I can't tell you my brother, 
my friends. I am not in the position where I should have said yes tonight because I miss my friend Gretchen. I'm not lonely, but I'm alone. I am alone. And I need more. And so I'm going back to the only thing that I've ever believed in, and I'm using the steps to help me there. So yes, I am powerless over alcohol. God knows it's the truth. But I have no intention of remaining unmanageable because I understand that I have come to believe in a power greater than myself that will give me that hope that I will be restored, not to sanity. Sanity to me is just simply balance and connection. You see, I have to be connected on a day-to-day basis. I can't live without being connected to something spiritual on a day-to-day basis. I just can't do it, honestly. I can't. I don't know how to explain it. I just don't do it because it's too harmful. And, you know, when I get to the third step and I turn it over, what am I turning over? You? No. You are kind of like not as dangerous to me as me. I'm turning myself over. A third step for me is get the hell out of the way. Really? Get out of the way. And then my God, my understanding and my people, they say to me, look, what is in the way? Perhaps you need to take another look, Lila. Because there might be some little other secrets, little fears, little tiny things inside of you that you're still not looking at. And you know, that's what happens. We infected ourselves with such negativity and such criticism and such lack of worth and such shame. It takes years of digging inside of yourself with the steps to get rid of that. Oh, but it is. It goes, you know. And then the fifth step, what's the magic and the beauty of the fifth step? It's the essence of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's one alcoholic talking to another. It's me saying, this is my secrets. This is what's wrong with me. This is what I'm afraid of. These are the little itty-bitty little things. This is the shame. This is what I can do, and this is what I can't do. And then listening to somebody else. And then being entirely ready in six, well, snap for me. I'm entirely ready because my God of my understanding says, okay, now, you were unmanageable. You knew you are going to get help. You got the hell out of the way. You looked what was really the problem without analyzing it, by the way. It doesn't take 60 pages. (laughs) And you had a conversation with somebody. They share their experience with you. There's no certain way to do this. You find the right person. They'll change. And then you're there at six. Oh, the step of acceptance. Well, now, Lila, isn't that great that you've accepted all this stuff about yourself? What the hell are you going to do about it? Because in six, you know, it said, God will not render you white as snow and keep you that way without your cooperation. What a horrible word. <laughs> you're all by yourself. You realize you have to cooperate. <laughs> so I talk to my God. And I say, what can I do? And I make a list of what can I do? What can I do about this problem? Because I spent 40, maybe 35 years of my sobriety addressing the problem, the problem. I'm going to correct this problem. I'm going to take care of this problem. The problem, 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 how to handle the problem. This is how you handle the problem. You do the steps on the problem. You do this on the problem. You do that on the problem. (laughs) If you have an outside problem, you get help on the problem. You do all these stupid things that people tell you to do, and you do it all. Help, help, problem. Forget it. (laughs) Do it until you're sick of that. Do it until you can't listen to that same person tell you that same bullshit one more time. Do it until you realize you got to go home, get down on your hands and knees and say, for Christ's sake, help me. <laughs> and then start working on the solution. Am I eating properly? Am I sleeping enough? Am I going to enough meetings? Have I read anything at all? Am I looking at the book? Is it just now to the bathroom and where I can read it? Am I going to you know, talk to people? Am I listening to these things? Am I getting, sharing my experience, strength and hope with other people? Hey. I'm back. So I make a list of what I need to do, I need to do to in the solution. I only live in the solution. I have no interest in the problem. I listen because I'm polite. But I don't listen for long. And I just like the facts, like dragnet, dead knife in throat. What facts do we have here? Get the body out, bring in forensics. Who killed the person? 
Don't need an explanation, dead. <laughs> Real alcoholics of my kind in the old day would say to each other, oh Christ, I hope you didn't kill that person. Did you kill that person? <laughs> they might have said yes. And I do what I can do about my problem, that moment, that instant, that minute. If I can't figure out what the hell I have to do and make a list, I make sure that my rent is paid, the food, you know. I am, live an orderly, normal life. And I make sure of that. And I've never worked with anyone in AA that I didn't make sure understood a budget and how to write a checkbook and pay their goddamn bills and clean their refrigerator and get the shit out of their car and drive properly and like, why are you getting all those tickets? Because you're too lazy to park? I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> because this is how you teach people in Alcoholics Anonymous how to end up with having a peaceful life later on when they're 72 years of age and they need a peaceful life. <laughs> and trust me, there's all sorts of people here who will be happy to do that for you. And then one day in the middle of the night at 3 o'clock in the morning, you're going to say, damn, that's what she's talking about. I have to cooperate now on a spiritual level in a way I've never done it before. These steps are for me. They're for me and they're for you. And you have to make them your very own. Because when you finish doing all that you can do in six and you're entirely ready for what? You're entirely ready to go to seven. They're written in an order for a reason. They're written in the order for the reason. I'm an alcoholic. I am unmanageable. I believe that I can get something back and restore to some sort of balance. I'm getting myself to hell out of the way. I'm going to take this look at my fears. What the hell are these fears? When you're sober, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, whatever you're sober, you have fears. Your resentments come as an ability to handle those fears, but that's another story. And then in five, where did I leave off? In five, you're talking to somebody and you're getting it clearer with a friend because after enough years, that's who you have. And you find the person that you know understands your problem. And you don't go, if you're a lesbian, to a person with 50 kids. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's like, really? Well, they got 500 babies and I want to be one of them. Oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Do you know? You're going to put a fire out with a policeman? No. <laughs> it's unfortunate that it's happening now, right? I am so lucky to be doing this now and to get it over. <laughs> because seven is magic. Seven is the beginning of the magnificence of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because after you have looked at four and five and talked it out, and you make that list, it has to be a list, because you forget, of all the things that you need to do, then you go to seven and say, now, on this earth of which I am privileged to stand, still be healthy, still be able to be here, still have half a mind, with this earth that I am here, I need you to take care of the things for me that I cannot do. So I am humbly asking you, heal me, please. Please heal me. Because I have bruises that I had. I don't have them now. But, you know, last year maybe. I have some bruises that are so old and so tired. And they're still there. They're bruises. And if you go like that, I'm hurt. I don't want those bruises anymore. Can you do for me what I cannot do for myself? That is seven. And then just when you think, ah, oh, great. I'm done. There could be no more. I've done my part, and I'm cooperating, and God's done God's part. And oh, my God, isn't that wonderful? And then they give you eight. And if you're sober a few years, you know that it's not about, you know, the guy at the grocery store that you're told to go messed with themselves, whatever. Cut somebody off in traffic. No, it's personal relations. It's all about personal relations. Read the damn thing. It's about amending things, about amending your own behavior so you don't act that way again. It's not about what you did, it's about how not to do it again. Not to repeat the same little jaywalker crap we've been doing forever. And then when you get to nine, you think, oh, this is good, now all I have to do is make an amends to these people. Well, you know what, you're gonna find out one day you don't have any people to make an amends to, but your bloody self. And you know what else? It's gonna be awful for you, by the way. <laughs> happens. You're gonna read the first paragraph of the 12 and 12 on the ninth step, it says, these are the qualities we must have doesn't say anything about running down and giving back a dime. It says these are the qualities we must have. And if you're sober any length of time and you want a spiritual experience out of this program, because it's a spiritual program, and without it, we are, as Carl Jung said, alcoholics are people in search of God. Never forget it. That's why you have to find your own God. I don't care if it's your dead sister, dead relative, a doorknob, a frog, a leprechaun. It doesn't make a bloody bit of difference. A guy with a cane and a goat and a dog. I don't care. You have to have something that you can talk 
to that's bigger than you and that you believe in and that you can connect in. That's why I like dead people. I know they love me when they were here. They love me more now because they're smarter. So it works. <laughs> but just after step nine where they tell you, whoa, you know, these are the qualities you must have. Then you wonder, oh, step 10. Look, I'm going to run around. I'm going to take all these inventories every time I do some little silly little thing. Oh, not at all. Oh, this is really disappointing. Because when I found out what step 10 is, am I protecting myself? Because I'm on the way to 11. I'm on the way to getting the power that is promised in Alcoholics Anonymous that each and every time, to each and every money and no money and bankruptcy and business and bad partners and good partners and terrible death and loss, all of those times, all of those times, I have received the power on the 11th step through the conscious contract with a God of my very own understanding. There may be times when I have begged, and over the years, trust me, I have begged. But then mostly I just ask, you know, because I know in 10, am I pausing? Because I can't just jump into 11, whoop. And don't kid yourself. If you do step three and get out of the way, and you go to seven and say, now I've done all I can do, what do you want, what can, can you heal me? Believe me, when you get to 10, the inventory you're going to be taking is, am I doing, protecting my spiritual space inside? Am I protecting the space inside of me that I have created, that I have cleaned out, that I have made room for, so that the spirit in me can become more of who I am? Have I allowed to free the spirit in me, the lack of shame and the lack of disturbances? Have I just freeing this person that's inside of me? Am I protecting? Have I boundaries? Am I letting anybody interfere with that? Have I paused? Have I paused so that I can go to 11 as the person that says, I am a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm a member in good standing because I still participate and do the very best that I can. I love the steps of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I love the process of going through myself so that I can get to 11, 10 and say, now, Lila, it's time to pause. They tell you to pause in the fifth step after, at the resting place. They tell you that, don't they? They say, now go away by yourself and just pause there for a while and make sure that you were thorough. Well, it's exactly the same in 10. <clears throat> they've told you what you need, the qualities you have. Are you having those qualities? Do you exercise those qualities? Do you live under those qualities? Do you even know what the hell I'm talking about? I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to force you to read that paragraph. <laughs> First paragraph, 12 and 12, freak you out. But there are. There's the qualities that I must have. And then you say in 10, okay, am I ready? And then you go to 11. And as a result of 11, this is who we are. You get to be 72. You get to be happy. You get to be content. You get to thank you for all the times that I have had the opportunity to give those talks and do that thing and to be loved so, so, so incredibly much. I really appreciate it because if it wasn't for the steps of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I wouldn't be able to do what it says in 12. And this is to carry the message. And I'm going to tell you something. Part of going out and living life on life's terms that they promise you in 12. And this, this Alcoholics Anonymous thing, every time we say for the alcoholics suffering in and out of the rooms, I am going to tell you right now, never, ever, ever, ever forget that the alcoholic that may be suffering the most is a sober person who's trying to adjust to the death of their spouse of all those years, to the diagnosis that they just got, to the child they just lost. You don't know who you're sitting beside in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think that we have to be far more conscious of that and far more gracious to each other. And we should greet each other as if we were all new in a small little room with a bunch of signs, you know, that said, bust for the grace of God, there go I. Because I'm telling you right now, I have never needed you more. I have never needed Alcoholics Anonymous more. I have never had to do less to get it. I believe in the steps. I believe in AA. It is a privilege to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Thank you very much for your time.